Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. All right. How are we doing? That was good. That was good stuff. Well, it's good to see you here today. And uh, thank you guys for coming to church today. Big hello to everyone at our South Campus. Can we all give them a big hello, everyone that's watching at the Cineplex? We love you guys. Um, before we really get into what we're going to be talking about tonight for our dress code series, I want to take a few minutes and talk about Easter weekend. Easter weekend is one month away. Like one month from right now is Easter weekend. That's crazy. That means one month from right now is the middle of April. That is good news for my soul. That is exciting stuff. And so uh, Easter is a hugely important, significant event in the life of the church. Amen. Right? Christmas gets all the fanfare. Christmas gets all the holidays. It gets the music. It gets the food. But Easter really is the meat and potatoes behind the reason why we are so excited about our faith. And so we always want to celebrate Easter well. And so we're doing a few different things uh, this year that we want you guys to be aware of. And so uh, the first one I want to mention to you is Good Friday. Uh, Good Friday happens on a Friday before Easter. And historically, uh, we have done this as a combined event with the other three Wesleyan churches, with Corbett Avenue and with Journey. And uh, we had a lot of discussion last year uh, between the pastors of the churches, and we decided uh, to kind of split up and do our own services, um, really because we don't like each other, and we just want to have a competition. <laughs> and so that's what we agreed to... No, I'm just joking. Um, it's actually because of a good problem. It's because we've all kind of grown to the point where there isn't a single location that can hold all of us for a combined service. <clears throat> that's good news, right? That's great news for all of uh, the three churches there. And so we've kind of outgrown our ability to meet together in a practical way. And so we're all kind of doing our own services. We were supposed to launch that last year, but last Good Friday, we had a snowstorm, which is the gross. If we have a snowstorm April 14th, I will cry real tears. We are going to go plant a cross point in Bora Bora, and I will be the campus pastor, and I'm out of here. Um, and so Good Friday, uh, it's just going to be kind of our thing, um, and, and really what we want to do, we're going to do a bit of a switcheroo. 
Uh, last Easter, we did a service at the Cineplex Theaters, and we had been discussing what life would look like to maybe someday have a campus, and we thought, let's give it a trial run. Let's see how this works and how it goes. And so our very first ever theater service was last Easter, and it went really well, and a ton of people showed up, and it was a great time. It's now a thing that we do forever, right? It's now our South Campus. And so we thought, instead of inviting South Campus to come to us for Good Friday, what if they hosted? And what if we all went to them for a service? And so that's exactly what we're going to do. Our Good Friday service is going to be at 10 a.m. on Good Friday at the Cineplex Theatres. And so, yeah, that's going to give you guys a chance to see what that's like and to experience that and to meet people that you've maybe never met in your life that go to your church. It's important. And so we're really excited about this. Uh, we're going to meet over there. Uh, we're not watching a video on the big screen. It's all just going to be live, but it's going to be at South Campus. Uh, we're also going to be in theater number three for the first time, which is exciting. It's the biggest theater in Fredericton. It's the biggest theater there. And so we're moving into that for Easter weekend, uh, which is church growth at a theater is awesome. A building campaign consists of walking 10 feet down the hall. It's very cost effective. It's a great way to add extra seats at zero cost. And so uh, we're going to be in theater number three and uh, just looking forward to an awesome, awesome Good Friday together. First change. All right. Second thing we're doing, guys, this is such a big one. This is so huge. Calm down. Buckle in. First service on Easter Sunday, instead of starting at 9.15, we'll start at 9. <laughs> I know. I know. Those 15 minutes will kill some of you. You will give up on your faith and walk away from Jesus because of those 15 minutes. I know, it's, it's going to be big for some of you. Um, but we're, we're going to move to a 9 a.m. start time. That's not just for Easter. It's going to start at Easter, but it's going to be like that forever. All right? I know that we can do this. None of you, you're Saturday nighters. You're like, I don't give, you know, whatever. Um, but if you're, you know, if you are a first servicer, 9 a.m., I believe that we can do it. I trust you. I don't actually trust you. I don't believe you can do it at all. Can't even show up on time for 6.30. But, I six. That's why you're all late, 6.30. Um, anyway, the reason why we're doing this is simple. It's a few reasons. One, it gives us more time in between services. Uh, it gives you more time to wander out there and chat and meet people. Uh, it also avoids traffic jams. Uh, it also is just simpler and easier to remember and promote, especially for people who don't always go to church, right? It's easier just to say, we do services at 6, 9, 10, and 11. Why is there a random 15 in there? We don't need a random 15 in there, <laughs> all right? So that starts on Easter weekend, first service. And then another change. I know this is a lot for so many of you. Um, we are going to be adding a fourth service just for Easter weekend here at the North Campus. Um, we always need to add more seats for Easter. Last year, we added a theater. Well, now we have a theater, and it's three-quarters filled up. And so we still need to add more seats because Easter is always kind of a crazy, busy time. And so we are adding a fourth service. And um, Easter has always been a really good time for us to take a risk and try something new. It was two years ago we thought, let's give Saturday night a try on Easter weekend, and now we do it. And then it was, let's give a theater service a shot, and now we do it. And so maybe someday 
we'll have to move to a fourth service. I have no idea. It would, part of me thinks that would be great because it means that we're still growing. The other part of me thinks that's so much church in a weekend. But Jesus is better. Right? So, fourth service. Uh, and this, I know some of you are going to think we're insane because the time is so bizarre. There is no good time to have a fourth service. Right? Optimal church time is Sunday morning. Well, that's taken. Next optimal church time we have learned is Saturday night. Well, it's taken. So what do you do? So we're, we're just going to be bizarre. This is one of our core values. It's on the wall in the coffee room. We're unboring and we take risks, right? We're just going to have church at 2 p.m. on Sunday. Easter Sunday, there's going to be a service at 2 p.m. And I know some of you are like, yeah, it's great for everyone who shows up, but I won't be. Hold on. Because here's what we're thinking. I know a lot of people will not go to church Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. A lot of new people, a lot of visitors, and a lot of guests, they're going to be coming on Sunday morning, which means their seats need to be freed up, which means you're all going to Saturday or Sunday afternoon at 2. We are asking Crosspoint to be missionaries to travel all the way to a different service time. I know for some of you, that's weird. It messes with your traditions. It messes with Sunday afternoon naps. It messes with maybe your traditional Easter lunch or whatever it is you do, but isn't Jesus bigger? Right? It might not be your preference, but aren't we supposed to put aside our preferences to reach more people for the kingdom of God? And so I think for one weekend, for one service, you can show up in the afternoon and praise Jesus and think about who might be sitting in your seat. And what might Jesus do in them and through them? Because you weren't there, so they could be there. And so that's what we're praying. We're praying big things over Easter weekend. Okay? So that's kind of the three things you need to remember and you need to know about. And uh, we want you praying for Easter weekend. That's a huge, awesome opportunity to preach the gospel to a whole bunch of people who don't know Jesus. Right? We're talking about a battle. That's a battle. So be praying, and then be inviting. There might not be an easier time to get people into church. They think that they should go. It's Easter. I should go to church. So invite them. Bring people with you. Fill up a row. It'll be great. Tell them it's at 2 p.m. They can sleep in. Um, and yeah, just rearrange your calendars. Get it on there now. Do Easter dinner. Saturday at 10 a.m. I don't care what you do. Come to church. All right, are we good? Are we Okay. All right, let's talk about Jesus. Um, we're in this series called Dress Code. We are talking about what to wear for warfare. Following Jesus is a battle. It is a fight. We have an enemy. He hates us, and he wants to stop us. So it is our goal to be prepared. It's our goal to be equipped so that we are ready to take on whatever it is that might be thrown at us. So last three weeks ago or so, we talked about the belt of truth then we talked about the body armor of God's righteousness. Last week, we talked about slipping on the shoes of peace and taking peace everywhere we go. And so today, we're accessorizing. It's not a piece of clothing, but it's something that goes with our clothing. And so back to Ephesians 6, verse 13. And it says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared 
And in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So today we are talking about our shields of faith. We are talking about this shield that we carry with us that can withstand all of the attacks that the enemy wants to throw at us. And so we need to talk about shields for a minute just so we get a clear picture. When some of you think shield, you think like a little wooden frisbee at a Braveheart. Right? You picture those guys and they're holding this thing and you hope when you hold a shield that when someone shoots arrows at you, it goes in that and not in you. That is the point of a shield. But for them in the first century in Rome, their shields were significantly larger. They were about four and a half feet tall and, and curved and huge. And, and imagine just walking like with a small door in front of you. And you kind of crouch behind this thing and move forward with it. And some of them had this big, huge metal ball in the middle of it. It was called a boss, which is great. Remember when boss was a word that meant awesome? Like, that's boss. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I mean, those might have been a personal phase. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and so that was their shield. They were huge. And, and the cool thing about it, it was that they would actually form this thing together, and, and they would combine their shields all around them and over them, and they would walk forward, and it became like this impenetrable shell. In fact, they called it the tortoise. There was tortoise formation, and, and they would be completely surrounded by these shields, and they would move forward and take ground. There was almost nothing you could do to stop these shields. And so the enemy began strategizing, like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna stop the tortoise? And, and they smartly recognized that the best way to destroy something that's wood is to light it on fire. And so they figured out a way to ignite their arrows and they would shoot from the city walls and they would kind of light this whole tortoise on fire. And, and so the, the other soldiers had to strategize, all right, how are we going to combat this? And they would begin to douse their shields in water Sometimes they would wrap them in leather and put like an oil on them so that when, when fire hit it, it would just be extinguished immediately. There wasn't anything they could do. They extinguished the flaming arrows of the enemy. This is actual true history that you're hearing about. And so when Paul writes this, that's the picture they have. This is what they know. They have seen this in action, that they've seen these shields, and they are huge, impenetrable, awesome kind of like this huge barrier of protection. And the flaming arrows of the enemy couldn't do anything to stop it. So don't picture this wimpy little frisbee. This is a pretty legit awesome shield. And so what does that mean for us in a battle? Well, a shield is your first line of defense. This is what anything that's coming at you, it's going to hit that first. This is what you've got in front of you to protect you. So yeah, you might be wearing body armor, but you're kind of hoping that you never have to use it, right? If anything's gonna hit me, I would rather it hit this instead of this. And so a shield was your first line of defense. And, and a shield took all of the blows and all of the hits that were intended for you. It absorbs all of those hits that should have been for you. And so we understand kind of the first line of defense in practical ways, like an airbag is your first line of defense. If you're in a car crash, you're, you know, you're not hoping that your flannel shirt will protect you. It's not gonna do a great job. It's fashionable. It's not gonna protect you. 
And so you've got this airbag. Are you hoping you ever are in a car when an airbag goes off? No. But are you glad it's there? Yes. Right? It's the same thing, I assume, with wearing a bulletproof vest. Never been there. Never had to do that. But I bet when you're putting it on, you're like, this is fairly reassuring. And then instantly, I'm going to go somewhere where I need a bulletproof vest. That's not reassuring. So you're glad you're wearing it, but you hope that it never has to get used. Uh, and in fact, this is why a lot of insurance companies, their logo is always a shield. 90% of insurance companies' logos are shields. They need new graphic designers. Because insurance is your first line of defense. When something awful happens, this is what's going to kind of soften the blow. This is what's going to help you out. It is a shield. You'd prefer to never use it, but you're glad that you have it. And so when it comes to our faith, uh, uh, you know, faith is our shield. Faith is the thing that protects us. Faith is the thing that takes all the hits and all the blows that are supposed to be intended for me, but instead I've got this protective barrier in front of me that makes sure I'm not taking all of these hits. I have my faith as a shield. And so we need to talk about faith and what faith is and how in the world does it serve as a shield for us. Because for a lot of us, we talk about faith, it's this really kind of weird, floaty, aroundy, untangible it's just kind of their faith. It's not a concrete, tangible thing to us. But that's not remotely how Scripture talks about faith. Here's what Hebrews 11.1 1 says about faith. It says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. It says that faith is something that we are confident in. It is my assurance other translations say that it is the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things that we can't. We don't talk about faith like that. When we talk about faith, we're talking about the opposite of reality, the opposite of evidence and assurance. That's not how scripture talks about it. It talks about it like a very certain, strong, confident thing that you can have. No question, no doubts. Talk, it puts quite a bit of stock in faith, more than we seem to. And so our faith, when done properly, when believed correctly and biblically, it is the something that we can be completely confident that this is the thing that is going to protect me. This is the thing that's going to help me as I fight. And so let's talk about how. I think there are three ways that our faith can be like a shield. You heard me. Classic three-point sermon. Calm down. And now you're excited. First point is that how kind of shields are like faith is that shields are intended to be hit. Shields are designed and, and intended to take a hit. They're designed to take a beating and, and to be shot at and to be lit on fire so that you aren't. No one walks around with a shield if they are not in a fight. That is the only reason you have one as if you're going off to be in a fight. None of you own a shield. There is no reason for you to own a shield. None of you feel naked if you're walking around without your shield. You went to the mall this weekend. None of you are like, hold on, I go to go downstairs and grab my shield. You take it off the mount in your basement. It's got your family crest on front of it. The Brewer family crest, the mug of coffee. I'm sure our enemies <laughs> struck fear into the hearts of our enemies. None of you have a real shield. There are not sword fights happening on Regent Street. We don't need to worry about this. 
But if this is first century Rome, if this is the Middle Ages and you walked off into a battlefield, if you're about to go fight your, your next door enemy and you don't have a shield, you're dead. It, it was that necessary. It was that hugely important because you knew I'm going to take some, I'm going to take some hits. I, I'm going to get some stuff thrown at me today and I need to be protected for it. And so they made them as strong and thick and sturdy as you possibly could because they were intended to take a hit. No one walked around with a shield completely because it looked nice. No one picked their shield because it accessorized with their armor the best, right? Like, now look, guys, I know that this glass shield doesn't sound very practical, but do you see the way that it shines in the sun? It's beautiful. I can see the reflection of my enemy even now putting his sword through my kidney and I'm dead, right? Like, you wouldn't have that. You picked the most practical, strong shield that you knew could take a whole bunch of hits. It's a shield that you wanted to be confident in, which means that after every battle, it had some new scars. It means that after every fight, there were some new dents, some new dings. It came, maybe a few new holes in it. Maybe there was some blood that got splattered on it means the more battles you were in, the more rugged and beat up and wounded your shield began to look. Does this make it a bad shield? No, it means it's a good shield. It means that it's, it has done its job. It did what it was supposed to do. And if you see a, a soldier walking around with this big old gnarly shield that, that's all just beaten up and, and just all, you know, scratched and stained and charred, you know what you assume? You assume that guy's a good fighter. Because that guy has seen some stuff, and he's still standing. That guy has been through some battles, and yet he didn't lose. That guy knows how to use a shield, and he's got some experience, and he's been in some fights, and he's got the scars to prove it. Does that make him a weak soldier? It makes him a good soldier. Probably makes him a better soldier. And so faith is intended for fighting. That's why we're in this series. And so faith as our shield, our faith is going to take some hits. Is your faith strong enough to withstand some hits? Is it strong enough to be hit so that it doesn't hit you? And the answer is absolutely. This is what 1 John 5 verse 4 says. It says, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through what? Our faith. Every child of God defeats evil through faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's how we achieve this victory. And I love the tense that he uses. It's not a perhaps hopeful future tense. It's every child achieves victory. We do. It's done. It's over. We, we win. Right? Every child achieves this through our faith. It's not we might defeat the devil. We might win in the end. No, we do. It's already achieved. We, we do this. We have a shield of faith that protects us and guarantees our victory in these battles. It guarantees victory in the long run and in all of these fights. David always talked about God as being his shield. If you read the book of Psalms, he's always saying, God is my shield, my fortress, my rock, my defender. He is the one taking the blows for me. He is the one that, who stands in front of me when, against the enemy, and the enemy can't do anything about that because God's already won. And so our faith, our shield is strong enough 
to withstand any fight that you might find yourself in, any fight, any battle, any trial, any problem, any stress that you are currently in is not too big for God. You do not have to lose it. You don't have to give up. Our faith is that strong. He can withstand anything. The the biggest hit from the biggest weapon from our worst enemy, our shield can take it. Does it mean that we'll escape unscathed? No, we'll probably have some scars. Every fight you're in might leave you with a few new scars. Some things that you learned along the way. There might have been a little bit of blood spilled. In fact, every follower of Jesus' shield probably has some scars on it. Does it make you weaker somehow? No, it makes you stronger. It means you've been experienced. It's your trials and it's your tribulations that continue to shape you and change you and make you even more holy along the way. Don't be ashamed of your scars. Be proud of them. Because you went through a fight and you didn't fall and you're still standing and God is good. And he is our shield of faith. The shiniest shields belong to the weakest soldiers. They haven't been in a fight yet. They don't have that experience yet. Be proud of a shield that's covered with dents and dings and notches from arrows and charred from flaming arrows. Your faith can handle it. Your faith will lead you to some fights, but it'll get you through all of those fights. That's what our faith is. The second way our faith is like a shield is that those shields worked best in community. They worked best when they were with a group of other people. It's that whole tortoise idea again. One soldier walking onto a battlefield with one shield, he might be all right, but who's got his back? Right? And if he turns around to get his back, who's got his front? Right? And he's just spinning around. He can't protect himself entirely. He is better off. He's almost guaranteed to be better off if he's doing this with a whole bunch of other people. He's making sure that they've got his back, And he's making sure that he's got their back. We are stronger together. And our faith works the same way. It is better when we do this in community. Look at this from Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12. It says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. And we've had the opportunity to talk about the importance of unity uh, multiple times over these past number of months. And how key it is, how vital it is that we do this as a family. That we walk through our faith as a journey together. No one is stronger in solitude. We are stronger when we are together and, and when we are unified. And remember that unity does not mean sameness. It means oneness. We're all different. We're all gifted differently. We we all have different preferences and different ways and different methods, but we can be one in Christ. And it's that unity that we have together where it says, all right, let's follow Jesus together. Let's listen to his word together. Let's obey his word together. Let's go tell other people about Jesus. That's hard work. That's a lot of heavy lifting. You don't want to do that alone. You can't do that alone. So we do this in community. We've got to have our people. We've got to have our squad it's the, it's the word the kids are using nowadays, you guys. Squad, I think. <laughs> there are certain parts of our faith that are better done alone. Jesus talked about them. He said, sometimes when you pray, you should go off alone. Don't do it for show. Don't do it in front of people. And Jesus often withdrew himself 
And, and he would leave. He'd walk right out of the middle of a crowd and go be by himself to pray, to rest up, to have conversation with his father. But then it was right back with his 12 guys. And it was right back into the middle of the crowd. And he did everything with those 12 guys. He didn't eat a meal, it seems, without those guys. He didn't preach without those guys there. He was always teaching those guys something, and they were stronger and better off because of it. Even after he left, they were stronger together because they were unified. We can't wage this war alone. We're not supposed to. It doesn't work that way. Don't, don't feel the need to be like this lone wolf. Don't go rogue. Right? It's what everyone, it's movies love to highlight the brooding, mysterious hero who loves to say the line, I work alone. Right? Always, it's, I'm a detective, I work alone. I'm a secret agent, I work alone. I'm a time lord traveling through space and time, I work alone. I'm Batman. I work alone. Every, all of them, every one of them. It's like the boringest cliche now in all of the movies. And we celebrate these guys, we're like, yeah, let's go it alone. Don't go it alone! Those guys are miserable. They have all kinds of mental health issues. You don't want to be like Batman. Batman needs friends. I'm not sure Batman ever needed Robin. That's a completely different illustration. But we are better when we are together. When someone falls down, someone's there to pick them up. When, when you're going through a hard time, you've got someone to listen to. You've got someone to, to cry with. I mean, Job's friends... When he was going through just unbelievable pain and misery, the best thing they did was just sit with him, didn't say a thing. Things went downhill after they started talking. <laughs> Maybe just sit with them. You can't do this alone. Those shields work better together, and so does our faith. Don't travel this journey in solitude. And finally, our faith is like these shields because it pushes us forward. All right, we've got this weird idea that shields are, <coughs> excuse me, purely defensive. That no one's taking ground with a shield. You're just standing there holding it, hoping that it withstands all of the blows of the enemy. No, that's not what a shield was intended for. It wasn't just for laying back and not moving and then standing on your heels the whole time. They used them deliberately to move forward. They used them to take ground. They used them to make progress. They traveled into enemy territory with those shields. They weren't purely defensive. They were offensive. And our faith is the same way. Our faith isn't a passive faith. It is not something we just have, but we don't do anything with. But our faith is an action. It's something that we do. It's something that demands action on our part. We are taking ground for the kingdom of God. We are moving forward. and We are going somewhere. We are always progressing in the kingdom. Faith changes the way that you live. It doesn't just change the way you think. But now it changes how you speak and what you do, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what your calendar looks like, who you hang out with, the decisions you make, all completely transformed when you decided to seek first the kingdom of God. You are taking ground now. That's why James told us that faith without works, faith without action is dead. If it's just something you believe, but you don't do, he says, it's dead. If your shield of faith is something you're just standing there hoping that the enemy won't get through, I hope I can outlast the enemy until the day that I die. Not the point. It's a useless faith. He says you're supposed to keep moving forward. Keep moving into enemy ground. Keep taking more of that ground. I heard someone say this week, 
Hell doesn't get nervous when you dream. Hell gets nervous when you act on your dreams. Right? We can all sit back and lay back and think and dream and wonder all kinds of wonderful things. You got to do something, church. We have to do something. In fact, it's Hebrews 11. The author of Hebrews dedicated an entire chapter to some of his favorite people in scripture who kind of embodied this faith in a radical way. He calls it the Hall of Faith, which that title practically wrote itself for him. And the obvious picture we see all through Hebrews 11 are that these people did something. And, and if you flip through that chapter, you'll see that it was Noah who built a boat before it ever rained. It was Abraham who walked his son up a mountain, wondering when God was going to do something about this sacrifice. It was Moses who led his people to the shore of the Red Sea, and he's like, I guess we just keep going. They did something with their faith. It was Israel who marched around Jericho seven times, tooting on their trumpets like, what are we doing? I don't know. Keep going. Something's got to happen. He said it would. They acted on their faith when it didn't make sense, when it wasn't clear cut, when, when it, they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. They put action behind their faith. And the Bible says they were honored. God showed up. He did something because of their faith. Didn't always make sense. They weren't just standing back. They weren't just hoping that God would do all the hard work. I'll just sit here, sit tight. God will take care of it. God wanted to see what his people would do before he showed up to do anything. He says, you take the first step. How much faith do you have? In fact, it goes on to say this. I love this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. It says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of their sword. Their weakness was turned to strength, and they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Why? By faith. By faith they did that. They believed that God was just going to do what he said he was going to do, even though they'd never seen him do it. I believe that he will. Even though he hasn't done it yet, I believe that he still can. But he wants to see that we've got enough faith to take that step, to keep moving forward. He says, I want you to put your feet in the Red Sea, and then I'll split it open for you. But I want your foot in the water first. They'd never seen a river get split in half. They didn't know it was going to happen, but they had faith. That's what our faith asks us to do. He says, I can't split the Red Sea, but I can walk to the edge of the shore and see what God can do. And that's what he's really waiting for. He's waiting for us to come to the end of our own strength and our own wisdom and say, all right, you got to take it from here, man. Because I can't do what's required next of me. I can't perform this miracle. I'm not a healer. I'm not a provider. I'm not all of the things that you are and you can do. So I'm at the end of myself. And this is where you need to step up and step in and do what only you can do. That's faith. It's faith that says, I will believe in God even if he's never done it. I will believe God even if he hasn't showed it to me yet. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you believe what God hasn't done yet? Do you believe what God hasn't done yet? Because here's the thing, our enemy will try and cause doubt right here. These are the fiery arrows. These are the lies that he is going to tell you that he isn't, that he won't, that he can't. God's not going to do any of those things. Don't have faith. 
And this is when he'll start to throw doubt at us and he'll start to light his arrows on fire. And he'll say things like, if God really loved you, then he wouldn't have let that happen. And we will say, my God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And, and then he'll show up and he'll say, yeah, but remember what you did. And we'll say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he'll say, yeah, but you don't have enough to live. And we'll say, my God will provide for all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And he'll say, yeah, but you're a worthless nobody. And you'll say, I'm already a citizen of heaven, seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And he says, yeah, you'll never make it to the finish line. You're too weak. And you'll say, it's not even me who's living anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me. He can't get to our faith. We've got a response for every lie. We've got a response for every arrow. We've got whatever it needs to take to extinguish those lies. We've got it in our faith. Our shield is that big. It is that strong. It is that sufficient. Do you believe that God can do it? Because he does and he can and he will. But do you believe him even when he doesn't? Even when he hasn't yet? Do you believe that he's still a healer? If you're still sick, see, faith says yes. Do you believe that he's your provider even though you're still in need? And faith says absolutely. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down to a false god. And they were going to be threatened. You're, you're going to walk through fire. We're going to burn you alive in the furnace. You remember their response? was, our God can save us. And even if he doesn't, I'm still with him. Right, that's faith. It's a faith that says, even when God hasn't, he can. And I believe him. And even if he doesn't, I still believe that whatever he decided to do is what was best and what was good and what was right. So how's your faith? Is it able to take some hits? Are you lamenting and regretting your scars? Are you still moving forward, confident, knowing that the enemy hasn't knocked you down yet? Are you walking together with others in the body? And are you believing God at his word? Are you taking ground? Are you moving forward in your faith? See, some of us, we've lost our faith somewhere along the way. We haven't given up on Jesus. We might still come to church, but your faith is damaged. You've given up asking for big things, You've, you've given up walking down that path that you know you're supposed to be walking down, but you've been walking down it for so long, it doesn't make any sense and nothing has happened, so I'm off, the, I'm off the path now. Maybe some of you have withheld from making a choice you knew that you were supposed to make, but you're just, I really don't see how this is going to work out, God. You've got your feet right by the edge of the Red Sea, and you're like, I'm not so sure about this. So we, we've lost some faith along the way. And scripturally, it was when people lost their faith that Jesus wasn't even able to do miracles. There was a town that he had to leave because those people didn't have faith. They weren't going to get the healing. They weren't going to get the miracles because they didn't actually believe him. But I love, I love the faith of the dad who looked at Jesus and he says, Oh, I believe, but you're going to help my, you need to help my unbelief. Oh, I've got faith. I just need you to help my lack of faith. Right? And maybe, maybe that's where some of us are at tonight. You need to reignite your faith. You need to rebuild your faith. You need to even just recognize and remember whose faith it is and who gives it to you and where it comes from. That it is indestructible. That it is from God himself. 
and then he gives it in abundance. He says, watch me. Step out in faith and watch me. Step out in faith and believe me. And so I want to pray for us tonight. I want to pray that for those of you who have lost your faith along the way, that you've given up on a dream, that you've given up on a promise, that you've stopped moving forward, that you're just, you're holding your shield up, hoping that you can just make it until the last day. No, no, no. We need some life and energy. We need to move forward. And so I want to pray for us today in that regard. Let me do that. Jesus, give us faith. I mean, I know that we've got it, but there's still that understanding that I also need to take it. And I need to do something with it. I need to act on it. I need to step out. And so for the people in this room tonight that have lost their faith, that their faith is dwindling, that their faith is weak, that they've just kind of given up along the way, God, I pray that you would reignite in them a passion for your name and for your word and for your faith. I pray that they would have the courage and the boldness to step out and do whatever it is they've been putting off to, to step out and make a phone call that they haven't wanted to make, that they would make that big decision, that they're, they're terrified. How is this going to affect my family and my finances? God, I pray that you would give us supernatural faith that says, I'm at the end of myself, and I need you to step in in a huge way, Jesus. Give us that faith. Give us that faith as a church. Faith is a church to step out and, and, and in the face of a society that says church is dead and dying, your church is washed up, it doesn't even make sense anymore, that we would just keep taking the enemy's ground and redeeming this city for the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to have faith that says, let's go build a building even though we don't have any money. God's our provider. The faith that says we, we should pray over people with oil and for healing even though, well, I don't, I don't know, do we even do that as a denomination? Help us to have faith, Jesus, to pray big and to believe big and to know that you can do all things. We love you and we give you praise. Build our faith. May we lift your name high tonight. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.